Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well after what has been a fairly trying week, all things considered. First up, we lose to West Ham in what was unquestionably, in my mind anyway, the most dismal, disappointing performance of the season. Petr Cech decides, well, fuck this. I'm getting out while the going is good. I'm retiring at the end of the season. Our manager tells our best-paid player that he doesn't want him. And it looks like Sven Mislintat, the man who we all hoped was going to bring us the players who would make us brilliant again, could be on his way out. I mean, what the fuck? What's next? Stan Kroenke taking 1,000% control of the football club? Sam Allardyce being made, like, director of football? Or they could do something horrendous by playing Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond every time we win a game. No. Yeah, okay. Shit. What is that, anyway? Why has Sweet Caroline become that song that we should play at the end of a game? I mean, when you think about the genesis of the song itself, it's really quite disturbing. This first song... Thank you. Thank you. That, of course, Sweet Caroline. I wrote that song after a big show at the Forum. Gary and I had been drinking pretty heavily and we were driving. Oh, I can't believe you're going to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, well, we were driving down this dark road and I hit a kid. So we got out and sure enough, he was dead. So we just took off pretty fast. And two hours later, I wrote Sweet Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. 
That Neil Diamond, you know, he's a pretty shady character. That, of course, was not Neil Diamond. That was Will Ferrell with a sketch, I think, was from a Saturday Night Live, but I could be mistaken. Uh, but it is a weird song to play at the end of a game. Maybe you just don't play any song. How about that? How about let people enjoy a, a win and see what happens? But, of course, we know it won't happen because there seems to be this strange belief that if you bombard a crowd with really shit music, somehow they'll get into the music and not just sit there going, well, this is really terrible music. This is not getting me in the mood for a football match at all. Maybe if they turned it off, we could, you know, make some noise ourselves. But no, no. So that's where we are. Petr Cech's leaving. Sven Mislintat is leaving. Stan has 100% control. And Sweet Caroline is something that we're all going to have to endure until the end of time, it seems. Which isn't to say Neil Diamond doesn't have some good songs. He does. It's just that one is like, uh, such a wedding band song. And to those of you out there who play in wedding bands, anyway, we have got a lot to discuss on this week's show. There is the Ozil situation. There is the Mislintat situation. There is the January situation. There is the Emery situation in that Unai Emery finds himself in a situation where his team is in desperate need of a win this weekend against Chelsea off the back of a, a pretty bad run of form, 11 points from 24. We could find ourselves nine points behind Chelsea at the end of play on Saturday. That would more or less scupper our chances of finishing in the top four uh, and qualifying for the Champions League via the Premier League. Uh, after 23 games, nine points, it would be a big, big turnaround. So it is a huge game for him, and it's a huge game for his players, but particularly for him because he's got more or less everybody available to him again in terms of his defenders. We know Rob Holding is out and uh, Danny Welbeck is out, the two long-termers, but he's got plenty to choose from this weekend, and he's got to make it work. He's got to pick a team that's organized, disciplined, understands what it's supposed to be doing and if he can make that happen then he's got a chance of getting a result it is just a really 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 big game for the for the new manager the kind of game that could just turn the mood around at exactly the right time you know things have been a bit fiery a bit contentious a bit up in the air and people are pointing fingers all over the place, whether it's at Ozil, whether it's at Emery, whether it's at Stan Kroenke, whether it's at uh, Ivan Gazidis, even though he's not here anymore. It's like, this. you created this, Gazidis. We know what you did. So there's all kinds of stuff going on, on top of the fact that we haven't invested in the January transfer window and pretty much everyone can see that we need some players. So there's a lot riding on this game on Saturday for Unai Emery. So with me now to discuss all of that and more, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, Philippe Auclair. Salut, Philippe. Good morning to you, dear Andrew. Let's start with the story that just will not go away. Yeah. That is... Which one? Yeah, true. Which one? <laughs> there the, are a few. One of the many that will not go away, but one that I think is in some ways overshadowing a lot of things that's going uh, that are going on at Arsenal, and it's yep. providing a real challenge for Unai Emery in his first season in charge. Uh, it's causing a bit of angst and frustration among supporters, um, depending on which way you think about Mesut Ozil, but certainly the Mesut Ozil situation is 
Uh, it's an ongoing saga now because he's been in and out of the team. Last night, David Ornstein spoke to BBC Five Live. This is a little snippet of what he had to say. Yeah, well, they're not just rumours, Mark. Um, Unai Emery has suggested that it would be to Mesut Ozil that it would be best for him to leave the club and that the hierarchy of the club feels that um, they would like him to move on. I think that's mainly financially driven. Now, David goes on to say, Philippe, that Mesut Ozil has no intention of leaving the club, no desire to leave the club. He's working hard. He's in the gym. He's doing some of the extra work that most of the players have been doing all season, and now Mesut Ozil is, is doing that as well. There's no issue with his, apparently no issue with his commitment, but we have a situation where the manager doesn't want a player. Yeah. The club are okay with the manager not wanting a player. The, mm-hmm. the player doesn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal have got a £350,000 a week impasse. Yeah. Admirable summing up of the situation. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, when David, that's David Ornstein, says something, it's um, you can take it that he's got proper sourcing for his stories. It is not some, he's not someone who specializes in rumors and, no. and rumor mongering. Uh, but I don't think that it will surprise anybody. Um, if you look at, I mean, Mesut Ozil's absence uh, this season to start with, it's it's remarkable. He's only played the equivalent of 10 games, more or less. Yeah. Uh, he's missed already eight Premier League games, uh, having this mysterious back trouble and spasms and, and all these things. And yeah, it seems a bit like um, a situation for which there is no obvious resolution. Um, I mean, it would be a bit easy to think to point the finger at, at guilty parties. I, I certainly think that what happened um, before, during and after the World Cup with Germany has had a huge impact on the player. Can um, I, could I ask and you... you... And it has had the, um, paradoxically, the opposite impact that you might have thought it would have. Okay, I was, you see what I mean. I was going to um, ask you if you could expand on on what exactly yes. you mean by that, because obviously the the summer was pretty difficult for him and traumatic, and I Very. think a lot of things were put on Mesut Ozil that were unfair uh, in terms of Germany's performance at the World Cup. He seemed to become the scapegoat for that. Yep. There were obviously the issues then that he felt very strongly about. He released a statement about uh, institutional racism within the, the German Football Federation. Yes. Uh, there was a backlash towards him from people in German football who didn't believe that to be the case. And, and mm-hmm. you're in a situation where, you know, people who don't necessarily experience racism tell you there's no racism. Uh, you know, <laughs> yes. so we have we all to, know what to think about this one. Of course, of course. Yes. But did you perhaps expect it to drive Mesut Ozil? yes in a really positive way and instead yes. you feel perhaps it's it's had a debilitating effect on on him I, or his motivation as a player I, I i i cannot come to any other conclusion surprisingly but it perhaps it tells you more about the psyche of the player and then the certain fragility or the fact that as was put in a, there's an absolutely wonderful um long read which was published by our friends elf freunde which I believe is, is available in, in, in English as well, in which they, they talk much more about the kind of man that he is and uh, that he's very much somebody who just enjoys playing football and lives in this bubble in a way and, and has very, a lot of difficulty to deal with trouble of that kind. And he was genuinely hurt. And I think hurt uh, beyond the point 
where he could have used that as motivation to do even better for the Arsenal. And on top of that, you think that there is also a lack of adequation between the kind of work and work ethic that Unai Emery desires from his players and the perception that we have of Mesut Ozil's work ethic. I said the perception. Sure. Um, but obviously, they don't see eye to eye on that. Um, he's When he's performed well, he's performed sometimes amazingly well. We all remember that game against Leicester, which was just a recital, uh, a thing of absolute beauty. Mm. Um, but there also have been games in which he's been a passenger. And you, 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 you do feel that, yes, he's not wanted. Um, and that it is an, an almost inextricable situation because who is going to pay this kind of wages? And the answer is nobody. Mm. Um, absolutely nobody. Uh, so here I am like you, Andrew, wondering what on earth is going to happen next, especially in a club. And this is the perfect transition if you want to, to do a transition, which seems to have lost its way, not necessarily on the pitch, but of the pitch again. Yeah. I mean, is it and, the first situation you can remember? I think, you know, we all follow football we all follow arsenal we all know the ins yeah. and outs of everything but for me it feels like the first situation that i can think of or, or certainly the the first one for a very long time where there is no obvious resolution because normally if a manager doesn't want a player that's it game over you know it's yeah. it's finished if a player doesn't want to leave that's by the by but here we have a situation where the the wage packet and the the salary and the the uh, the wages that Mesut Ozil is on more or less prohibit a move anywhere, mm-hmm. assuming that he uh, doesn't want to take a pay cut. Which you know who and, does? And the length of the contract, yeah. uh, which uh, runs until um, June twenty twenty one, for a player who's just turned thirty. It's like uh, a footballing locked door mystery, isn't it? In a way, yeah. this just does, doesn't seem to be a way out. I, I I don't think there is, and um, apart from perhaps I mean hoping, maybe I'm hoping against hope that some role can be found for him in a team that, judging by the last few performances, desperately lacks a creative presence in midfield. Is it you know given those circumstances, given the fact that he is tied to Arsenal in this inextricable way, and that it is I think everybody would uh, agree extremely challenging to move him on even if we wanted to and even with our best efforts it's going to be very difficult yeah how do we then view a situation where Unai Emery tells a player I don't want you it would be best for you to leave is he in some ways ignoring the reality of the situation based on his own personal I won't say dislike, but his his personal opinion of Mesut Ozil as a player mm. or somebody his training or or whatever, is it not incumbent on him to take into account the club's position? Perhaps yes, of course. Well, perhaps no. Absolutely. What I'm wondering though um, is the manner in which, if David Ornstein is correct, and I believe he's correct, the manner in which um, Emery has put this to his player. It could be a means to tell the player, listen, man, you've got to do something about this. Um, if you know, you, You've got to do your own bit here when it comes to your own future, um, rather than, oh, I don't want you, you've got to get out. Um, it might be a, provo- a, a way to provoke a reaction out of the player, dare I say. We don't know the conversations, the nature of the conversations which have taken place. 
what we are sure sure of is that there is a lack of trust or confidence from the manager in the player because i don't think any of us has bought all these mysterious illnesses viruses back spasms which have um, made his season a succession of stops and starts um but uh, again we 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 confronted with um it's 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 not even a choice it's an absence of choice yeah and uh, what can you do? I mean, the uh, one solution, if the player doesn't want to, to leave, that's that. The player won't leave. Then there is a, a situation at the moment, for example, at, at PSG uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Rabiot. Yeah. And uh, which, is, uh, which is, I mean, not similar, but it shows that, you know, you can, what can happen is that the player, you know, gets put in the fridge, as we say in French, or in the freezer, and that's that until the end of the season. In a way, what's happening with Ozil is the kind of anti-Ramsey situation, because Ramsey, we know, is going... He's playing. He's playing very well when he's playing. He's actually doing his job absolutely perfectly professionally. There's no problem yeah. between anybody, and it's uh, it's all everybody's happy and everybody's uh, yeah, and everybody's friends. Here it's different. It's a conjunction of elements which uh, are, are are simply it's a bit like um, electric particles that cannot possibly be attracted to each other. You know, like when you're trying to. Pull two magnets towards each other. Yeah, you can't. You can't do it. So they. Oh, you think you've done it? A bang. Yeah. Suddenly there's this big force, and the only. I mean, could the solution be uh, to um, uh, to sell him at at a very reduced price? Well, yeah. What happens to the wages then? You would have to sell him at an incredibly reduced price for somebody willing to absorb that as the cost of of getting him. Yeah. Um, where could he go? Well, not to another English club. We don't don't think so. Uh, back to Germany, I very much doubt it. Um, Spain. Uh, I, if Jose Mourinho had been already named uh, Real Madrid manager. Um, yes, he would have uh, certainly um, a place for himself there. Uh, Italy, in terms of the kind of game and so forth, is perhaps best suited to him, but only one club could afford him, and that's Juve, and I don't think that they need him right now. So it's it's like, a, yeah, it's completely locked. Yeah. You don't see a way out of the situation, except, which I hope, that somehow he will find a way back into the team and into the manager's plans. Because let's be brutally and I, honest. And I, should add, yeah. I should add, Andrew, and it's probably, probably, if that didn't happen, I would ask myself questions about Embry that I haven't asked myself until now. Okay, that's fair. I think that's fair because if we are in this position where January is, moving him in January is going to be just impossible. I think whatever about the summer, if you can put some groundwork in it, if you can find a club, if you can find an agreement with the player and his agent and, and everything else, considering the very... Um, well-stacked hand they they have in in this situation that's one thing but between now and the summer arsenal have a need to win a lot of football games they have a need yep. to play better football and they also if they really do want to move Mesut Ozil on they might want to think about the value or the perceived value of the player going into the transfer market because the more he remains on the fringes, the more public it becomes that he's on the fringes, and it seems to be coming more and more public, obviously. You're you're looking at a depreciating asset, but the asset mm. might depreciate what you've got to pay him doesn't. So yes. I think there is a real need for Arsenal and Unai Emery and Raul Senyehi and everyone, Mesut Ozil himself, of course, to come together and think about what's best for them, what's best for the club, what's best for the future. And I strongly think that him being a part of what goes on between now and May is 
the optimal solution for everyone. Yes. Assuming, of, assuming, of course, that, you know, he's willing to put the work in and do the do the training. And according to David's um, broadcast, you know, he is doing extra work in the gym. He is, uh, you know, trying to maybe pick up some of the slack that Unai Emery wants him to pick up if this is a motivational thing for Emery. Uh, but that's the that's the generous appreciation. That's what I was saying is all about yeah. the context. If 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 Emery is using this as a means to to jig his player into doing even more and, and then bring him back in the, into the fold, we'll all say, well, wonderful man management, mm-hmm. if a little bit um, out of the ordinary, shall we say. Uh, mm. <laughs> but it doesn't look that way at the moment. And and the thing the, as well is that, as I was saying, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree with that, one of the big problems we've seen in recent games, and particularly against West Ham, was the cruel lack of, of an orchestrator and that uh, of of somebody who would be able to see the pass through the eye of a needle or simply have this presence of mind and this vision of the, the field of play that Mesut Ozil, regardless of what people may reproach him, certainly has in droves. And we don't have... We used to be a team of number 10s not that long ago. This is no longer the case. Yeah. He's the only one who genuinely fits into that category um, with perhaps... Ramsey, but Ramsey, a very different profile, actually. Yeah. Mikitarian, who is a creator, is more of a somebody who plays on the flank and hasn't been used an awful lot in that in that position. Uh, so there's a lack, and you think, well, there, would it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you had somebody who can pass the ball, assist the ball, see the pass, and you think, hey, hold on a second, we've got one. It's called Mesut Ozil. Mm. Why don't we use him? Well, what do you? I'm curious as to what you make of Unai Emery's performance in the half season, more or less, that he's been at Arsenal. Uh, it seemed to me that he started with a very clear, defined way in which he mm-hmm. wanted his team to play. We went out and we played that way against the best team in Europe at that point, Manchester City, on the opening day of the season. And you could see what he was trying to do. It was really yes. difficult that day. But there was something admirable about sending your team out, even though they haven't had a great deal of time to prepare uh, and a great deal of time to get used to this style of football. It was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be tricky at first. We're going to have some iffy moments. But over the course of the season, we'll get more used to it. It'll become more fluent. We'll build up the, what are the things that Per Mertesacker spoke about, the automatisms, you know, finding those relationships on the pitch, knowing where everyone's supposed to be when we're in this situation, when we're in that situation. And I'm not sure six months down the line that we're any more clear about what that style of football is. Or we certainly moved away from that, perhaps perhaps because of injury, perhaps because certain players weren't doing what he wanted them to do. But it feels to me like he started one way and has gone off in a different direction and is now frantically with his phone out looking at Google Maps trying to figure out how how to get back to where he wants to. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I agree with you that there's been a change. Uh, I don't know how much this is due to the manager changing um, his plans. Um I don't necessarily think so. What What do you think it is? I think there is a, a lack of physical sharpness. I think there is a lack of intensity. And I cannot imagine for one second Unai Emery telling his players, 
keep your foot off the pedal a little bit more, guys, when we're pressing. Impossible. That would be, I mean, it would be basically a denial of everything is always stood for mm. and ev- everything is always wanted to see from his players. There is not as much energy. And, you know, it's, it's minute. It can be one or two percent. Uh, less energy uh, in the sprints or in, in the pressing. You don't quite see, uh, you know, uh, us hounding the opponents as we used to do in the second halves, at least, of sure. most of the games uh, until, you know, the last few weeks. So it might be that there's a problem with physical preparation, which is, uh, which is a possibility. Um, it, it could be that there is, we're seeing the impact as well of this just unbelievable spate of injuries we've had, which has genuinely... Um, I mean, it, it has more than disturbed his plans. I mean, he, he finally had settled on a defense that looked like a defense and was actually doing a decent job. And I, I keep going on about it with friends with saying that how um, the injury suffered by Rob Holding has had appalling consequences. It's incredible to say that. Isn't it? About though? a young lad from t- we, we bought from Bolton. Yeah. I mean, isn't it? If someone had said to you at the start of the season, a Rob yeah. Holding injury is going to is going to kind of cripple you in a way. You'd but have there said, are some players, you know, who, yeah. because of what... It's, I remember thinking the same thing um, for the England team when Danny Welbeck was injured, I think, before the 2014 World Cup, or something like that, thinking, shit, this is really the one player who was bringing this kind of thing that the others couldn't, even if, even if he's not the best. And Holding really had was growing into this role. And, and obviously, he was so focused. And Well, anyway, let's not do um, a Holding... Cast. It's not the point. It's that the fact that at one point we were missing six defenders and that uh, it, 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 there, there is a problem there um, which is extraneous in a way. And the other problem is a problem of perception, as always in football. Um, in a way, the fact of having over 20 games unbeaten perhaps has skewed our view of what Emery had achieved and could achieve in such a short uh, amount of time. The same way it's, it's, it's happened to Sarri as well at Chelsea, you know, with their, their start of the season, people say, oh, it's fabulous, fabulous. And then suddenly now they're saying, well, it's not that great, actually, is it? And, and there were, the team overperformed. Where is it now at the moment? It's exactly where it should be, fifth or sixth place, given the squad that is at our disposal. Um, the amount of points which have been gained is more or less what you would have expected in, in a sort of uh, average to half-decent Wenger season shall we say? Mm-hmm. So we haven't really progressed that much since Arsene Wenger has left. That's, that's absolutely true. What we haven't done is regressed. And Do you, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be positive because there, there are moments, you know, every team goes through moments when there are drops in energy levels. And, and this, this goes for absolutely everybody. It's because of the way you prepare in pre-season, you, you plan for peaks at different types different moments of the yeah. season and perhaps it wasn't done as well as it should have been perhaps it's the uh, as i said extraneous elements such as injuries and suspensions and so forth but we seem to have hit um a little bit i mean to have put the handbrake or to use a vangarian <laughs> expression uh at actually a very very bad moment because this is when we have the most games um we're going to breathe a bit more easily perhaps now uh, the, the the tempo is going to slow down uh, and and perhaps this will actually be um, you know help Emery get the troops back together, provided as well he's got troops together because like you and like you I'm sure the Ozil situation the Emery situation for me okay they in a way they're part of the daily they're the kind of daily bread that we have sometimes to eat as football fans I'm much more concerned about the fact that 
despite all these injuries, despite the, the lack of the problem, the situation with Ozil, there will be no investment in the transfer window. I'm extremely concerned by what's happening around Sven. And I'm wondering if um, what we thought had been solved and which was systemic, not just pertaining to the squad itself. Actually, we're in this, exactly the same mess as we were a year ago. Okay. And that is, not a, that is not a happy thought. Okay. Just very quickly, because I want to talk to you about the the investment and the Sven situation. But just when you talk about regression, do you feel like there's been a defensive regression based on the amount of goals that we've scored? Or is it simply the same defense, more or less displaying the same weaknesses that they did under Wenger? Partly. Um, it's also, there are, I mean, there are problems in this team which have been inherited uh, from Wenger. There's the Jacca dilemma. Can mm. you afford with a defense that is leaking so many goals to have a supposedly deep midfielder who is incapable to defend? That's a problem, isn't it? Mm. He's certainly um, accident prone, isn't he? He's accident prone. He's got. He's 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 a good player. He's a very 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 good player. Um, it's just yes, he has these lapses of concentration. You can't expect Lucas Torreira. Um, how much you know we love him and so forth. And by the way, the fact that he has played a little bit less over the past few well for a few weekends might also explain why there's a bit of lack of a lack of intensity in our game because yeah. he's the guy who actually starts all that. He's is is the dynamo. Yeah. I agree. Um, so we, we we've got a defense which has as I said at one point had six I would say almost first choice or first or second choice uh, members who were uh, who went missing. Uh, we have had to play Lichtsteiner in positions that I never thought he would ever occupy. Uh, poor Kolesinac is finding himself uh, exposed because he's playing in a role that is not his. Laura Kosciani has been, he hasn't been rushed back, but he's just coming back from a very, very severe injury. Skrodan Mustafi is Mustafiing at every game. <laughs> and you carry on like that. Socrates, I, I do like, but he's a very old style defender who is extremely good in, 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 in a physical battle. Um, and, and is very imperious and sometimes, you know, uh, a bit brutal, which we all like a bit. Uh, but the, the unit hasn't been found yet. And we thought, you know, it had been found at one point. We should remember that, that it was in, it was in place. And we were not conceding that many goals. and We were holding on somehow. Um, then there's the prime with Bernd Leno, who, you know, had some good games and some games which were not that great. His positioning has not always been top. You know that's that's an awful lot to deal with, um, mm. and, and 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 I do think it's that is not something. I mean, you could put some of the responsibility for that at at the door of of Unai Emery's office in 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 Colney, but there are also again circumstances which explain that. If you have to change your defence every single game because another guy's injured, because another guy's suspended, you have to go from a back three to a back four to a back five. My goodness, there's you know it's understandable that you have some problems um, in 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 not leaking goals. Do, do you expect him to return to the formation that he seemed most comfortable with? Like the back three felt like uh, a way to offset some of yeah. the the absences that we had, or the fact that we were playing Lauren Koscielny, who's just come back. Personally, I would like to see him 
move to a back four. I'd like to Me see the, the extra man in midfield rather than at the back. It's not as if playing an extra defender has made us any more defensively secure. And it just feels maybe that the players are more comfortable and understand what he wants when we play a back four more than when we play with a back three. Where I, I do agree, particularly, particularly when it comes to the wing-backs, yeah. uh, the wing-back situation, and where Bellerin and, and Kolasinac find themselves up the pitch in the open, in the opposition's third, and very, very rarely give um, the option, the, the out ball, so to speak, when the number of times we've seen Mustafi looking around him like some, I don't know, some badger who's just been taken out of his set while it was hibernating <laughs> and he's blinded by the sun saying, where, where is every, anyone? And then the ball goes across the field again to somebody, then passes it back to him. And because Kolasinac is too far and Bellerin is too far and there's nobody and Shaka is not actually asking for the ball mm. where he should. Yeah. So, uh, but it's, it's it, 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 yes, it, it, I would hope, like you, that we go back to a back four. And I find it quite symptomatic that in the last few games when we've had a back three, we actually finished the games with a back four more, mm. more often than not. Uh, that's a proof that the back three hadn't worked. So, um, but again, it's making the, the best out of a bad, position, a bad situation. Let's remember that Wenger went to a back three precisely to find a solution uh, to, to a, a long-standing problem, which is the you know, legendary uh, plaster on a wooden leg. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm like you. I, I would like to see a, a, a midfield that is a bit more dense and perhaps offers a little bit more in creativity than what we've got at the moment when we play with the back three. Mm. Probably quite telling when you said you wanted a midfield that was more dense. I immediately thought of, of Granite Xhaka, but that could be, <laughs> that could be just me. <laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. I want to go back and talk to you about the uh, the investment or the lack of investment yeah. in in January. Now, there may be reasons for it. It may be that we want to buy players in the summer and that we don't want to buy players at this point in the season who we don't really want. And you can see a lot of logic to that if that is why we're not buying players are you worried a little bit that that's maybe not why we're buying players and that perhaps we are being financially restricted from higher up the food chain rather than this being a footballing decision? And, and how do you feel it reflects on the backing the club are giving Unai Emery if in his first transfer window or his first mid-season transfer window when the world and its mother can see that we need players, they're yeah. not prepared to get behind him. Do you think it's do you think it's sort of leaving him in the lurch, or does it say something about the way they think about him? Or I'm just curious as to your overall thoughts on this situation. My overall thoughts are a little bit confused at the moment because I think this is also a consequence of of the situation of Sven Mislintat. Um, if you do, if you have a recruitment cell which is at uh, odds um, at, with each other, where people cannot quite agree on who the targets should be mm. and who they should go for, it is quite logical that you would have a slowing down of the process, even um, grinding to a halt uh, as a process. So that might be one explanation. Uh, another explanation is the fact that Arsenal did spend an awful lot of money in the last January transfer window. And I don't regret that because we got Aubameyang, who has been, I think, an absolute star for the team. Yeah. Even when he's, he's had a couple of so-so games. But my goodness, we've, we've certainly landed a, a bloody good goal scorer here. So, but I'm, I, I was just going through the list of, of people we got through the summer. And to be honest, I think we spent less money than Fulham. I, yeah, maybe we did. We spent less money. I'm pretty I think. sure. I'm pretty I, sure because I, we spent less Lichtsteiner, money net Lichtsteiner than we did. arrived on a free. Yeah, Matteo Genduzzi can't have cost forty million pounds. No, there was seven, Lucas Torreira, but Torreira was million. actually very cheap by um, and Socrates, but Socrates was also cheap. And Bernd Leno. Let's say these three guys were the main. You know, these four guys. Leno, Papa, uh, Socrates, Lucas, and 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 Genduzzi were yeah. the, the the main purchases. And yeah, if it comes to about the investment, level of investment that a team which has just been promoted from the championship uh, has, uh, uh, has decided to, uh, uh, to, uh, to pay, um, that shows that in a way we were still yeah. 
absorbing the cost of uh, the purchase of Aubameyang, so, which is why I was thinking like most people. And we, you know, Arsenal has quite often made big purchases in, in the winter. I mean, Aubameyang is not the first one. I mean, Arshavin was another one. Um, Reyes was another one. Adi but Bayor. those were the days. And, and we can't expect... Uh, an, an, an owner who is known throughout American sports for the fact that um, you know there's a, there's a rat trap in his wallet uh, that to suddenly <laughs> change is um, is the way that he drives the club um, here, especially if the club is in objective terms doing as well as it should according to to its squad. Certainly not according you know in regard of its wealth. Arsenal is the, what, sixth or seventh richest club in the world. We'll, we'll soon know. I think the Deloitte report is out next week. Um, and we're certainly not where we should be in terms of the money that the, the club has in its possession and, and turns over. Mm. But in the, there's nothing shameful in being fifth or sixth. It may be really frustrating for us, for whom being in the top four was a trophy. But um, this is Kronke. This is, this is the Kronke reign. Why would we expect it to change? in terms of spending money. And I thought what I, what made me quite optimistic was the fact I thought at least they're trying to put a new regime in place which will enable us to be clever with the little money we're going to spend. And that is, you, you, take, in, you take Sven and Raoul, and, um, and Sven is the guy who's got the eye, is the guy who uh, is able, is also apparently a very good negotiator. Raoul has got the greatest address book in world football. And if they work together, well, maybe we can do something fantastic. There are, there are other clubs who also work with uh, very small recruitment budgets. And I won't name the one that comes to my mind because that would be too painful. Um, mm. we, we won't go there. Uh, but I, I'm wondering if, if it's not, you know, uh, if we should be so surprised. But honestly, in this particular case, what I'm worried about is the effect and the impact it can have on the season as a whole. Because we desperately need those players. We, we do. That. And that, that was going to be our competitive advantage, wasn't it? The fact that we had this talent spotter, this guy with the diamond eye yeah. who was going to un- unearth the Genduzis, the Terreras, the Dembele's, you know, players that he spotted that have come into clubs and become really great players, but also big assets for football clubs as well. So you can renew and replenish by by selling these guys on uh, down the line. It's, you know, maybe not where we want to be or it's not how we're used to doing things, but it's a reality of how uh, a club that is financially restricted because of the way it's being owned can operate in, in the transfer market. So yeah. the departure of Mislintad, I think, is is really worrying in that regard. Uh, do, you, do you think that they're going to bring somebody else in. It does sound like they're going to bring somebody in because the idea was for Mislintat to become the technical director of the Correct, club. Correct, yes. So he was brought in as head of recruitment and then he was promised by Ivan Gazidis, who we might talk about in a minute if we can bear it. Um, <laughs> you know, Not so sure about that. Yeah, me neither. But he was, <laughs> he was promised this promotion to technical director, which has never manifested itself. And whether they don't believe in what Sven is doing, whether they think they can get somebody better, I, I don't quite know. Uh, but they have to replace that guy, the guy yeah. who coordinates the scouting, the transfer targets, the identification of talent that we can bring into this club. There's got to be somebody doing that job because I don't think it's what Raul Sanyehi does. And I'm not convinced that that's what he wants to do you know he's not if you're if you're the 
the the businessman, the schmoozer, the guy who shakes hands at the parties and wears the nice suit, you don't want to be sitting somewhere in a freezing cold grandstand watching a German third division game to see if you can mm. spot the left back that's going to play for Arsenal for the next five years. So there's a clear delineation there between the two jobs. So they've got to bring somebody in. If Mislintat is going, they must have somebody else lined up, you would like to think. You would like to think. Um, Roma is a bit of a complete um, nonsense club at the moment. So they've got a rather good technical director there. I think you've heard of him called Monchi. Um, yeah. That might be... Spanish, Spanish, <laughs> Spanish, Sanyehi, Emery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I might be actually talking, you know, this is, by the way, this is not a rumor. This is just something I completely made up. <laughs> that's fine. Don't Actually, worry. That's the way rumors start. Exactly. Someone will take it and do a little story on it. Well, and maybe then all we of a could, sudden, we could do that. Use the Ars blog to start the rumor. I do, should, and, and rumor have got sometimes a tendency to uh, to become truth. Okay. Okay. I, so, you know, sometimes rumors though they're they're damaging, and we should stay away from them. You know, I'm just trying to. <laughs> Just trying to be a light in the darkness a little bit, Philippe. I think we should try and do that. But no doubt somebody will put two and two together and get six out of this. But yeah, look, he would be he would be uh, uh, somebody who who ticks a lot of boxes. Uh, but whether they go for him or Mark Overmars or somebody else, it's yeah. got to be somebody. Uh, there has to be somebody, and there's no indication uh, that this somebody has by, has been identified, and um, which is worrying. Mm. Uh, which is due to the fact, apparently, that um, there was—I mean, which is extraordinary when you think about it—the uh, that um, less than a year after the departure of Arsene Wenger, two of the people who orchestrated his departure have already gone or are on the verge of going. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah. And here we come to Ivan Gazidis. So let me ask you this: when he put in place these changes this catalyst for change that he spoke so often yeah. about uh and he did a lot uh, over the course of those 12 months or you know bringing in mislintat bringing in sanyehi uh changing things in the background new contract guy all that kind of stuff uh you know did the press conference to announce that arsene wenger was leaving uh all that kind of stuff and he brought these people in to be the future of the football club yeah. Was there a responsibility on him to oversee that for longer than he did? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Does it make you worried that he was so quick to take up another offer, regardless of how good that offer was? Um, the thing as well is that you talk about how good that offer was. I very much doubt that it was much better than what the position he already had at Arsenal. But didn't he? Didn't wasn't the whole deal with this that he got? a certain percentage of the club that this hedge fund that's bought AC Milan. Yeah, you which know, they're, is well they're, dodgy, by the way. Of I course, mean, I, they all are. You know, sorry to any, particularly dodgy. Yes. Um, sorry to any but, hedge fund managers out there. I'm sure many of you do fantastic work and, and everything else. But, you know, the <laughs> idea that... No, but I mean, no, no, Philippe, it's like the hedge funds that buy up properties residential and commercial properties or they buy up land in cities which need residential properties and they sit on the land because they view it as an investment they don't care about the the impact that it might have on society so you have this piece of land that could build uh, 3000 yeah.
and houses uh, and it might help alleviate a homeless crisis, it doesn't matter because on paper what they're interested in is the value and I think that's what's going on with AC Milan is that yeah, they're mean, not necessarily I, I, yeah, interested I mean, in the football, they want to build up the, the value of the asset and I think that's what, what, what Gazidis will get I, if they I, sell I, it. I, I certainly hope they do fail in spectacular fashion with apologies to uh, people who would have a soft spot for this great club. I, I do hope they fail. And it's true, I mean it's the salary I was talking about but yeah it's true that when you take into account apparently the um, uh, options and so forth he, he, he almost trebled his, his income but it's funny because he actually has never he had never struck me as somebody who was a mercenary I mean I may, maybe he completely you know pulled the wool over my eyes when, when I met them met, met him and talked to him but certainly the same would go for many of my colleagues who've had actually even more contact with him than I did and I didn't think he was that kind of person. I genuinely thought he had, regardless of the appalling corporate vocabulary he used to talk about brand arsenal and so forth, mm. I genuinely thought that there was a guy who was in, in there for the long run and, 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 and thought that it was an absolutely extraordinary job to have, and which it is. I mean, come on. Yeah. Can you imagine? Mm. It's just wonderful, um, regardless of the problems. So yes, he had a, he, he had a degree of responsibility. Um, Again, we've been shown with um, somebody who was one of our main decision makers, exactly the same thing that happened with our players uh, in the past. Uh, Gazidis is, is a kind of the executive version of Robin Van Persie, Samia Nasri, you name it. <laughs> and we've been gazumped. Mm. And uh, we should not be gazumped by, I was going to say, I was going to say anybody, that would be ridiculous. There are some clubs which will always be more powerful and richer than we are but we shouldn't be at that stage and um and and that explains i mean for 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 emery if we go back to the sporting side of it um that must be pretty difficult to manage to um, i i i who is he talking to now is it just talking to to Salehi? Mm. and that's that wow that's not good is it no it, it is you know, the timing of all this is particularly difficult as well, isn't it? Because it's come at the end of a bad run of form. It's come at a time when we're looking for some investment in the team to correct some frailties that we all know that we have. So a final question. Yeah. Would Arsenal improving their communication be a big benefit, not just to us as fans, Mm -hmm. but to the club itself. Yes. Because I really feel like they don't have to sit down and tell us, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we've got a 58-page document here. Now, if you turn to page one, appendix B, blah, 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 you'll see here that we don't need grand detail. We don't need them to lay out their plans and strategies in front of the world. Uh, we could get uh, Bielsa to do that for us at some point down the line, perhaps. Oh, um, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. But some kind of communication to to explain to fans what's going on, what they're going to do in general terms to to drive the club forward beyond the sort of platitudes that we get about mm -hmm. the ambition to be winning the Premier League and winning the Champions League, you know. Oh, gosh. You know, it's it's absolute... It's just so easy to say that. Anyone can say it. You put me in charge of Arsenal, I could go in and say all the things that people might want to hear. doesn't make them yeah, true. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... Um 
but you, you know, it's it's we live in the age of unicorns and Brexit, so that's not very surprising. Um, but it's extremely frustrating, and I agree with you. The communication of the club has been catastrophic, but not not of late. It's been like this for a very long time. But but didn't we uh, didn't we have a manager who, regardless of what you felt uh, about him during his reign or in the last years of his reign, mm. was somebody who communicated a message whether you agreed with it or not there was a, a sort of a clear message and he was like the figurehead of the club so we knew he, that what he said was representative of the club and now we have with all due respect to him uh unai emery a manager who i, I wouldn't necessarily put communication at, at the, the the top of his skill set right no he's quite difficult to understand and he's quite difficult to to grasp what he's saying and i'm sure he has all the best intentions and all that kind of stuff so the message from that side of things isn't as clear as it was beyond that we've got a, a head of football and a managing director who are doing their you know job share their demarcation raul is football vinay is business mm-hmm. but who's the figurehead who's the one voice that we can get behind and listen to whether we agree with what they say or not. The, the it's nowhere. It's there, nowhere to be seen. There isn't. No, one, I agree is with it? you. There, it's it's nowhere. Uh, when I was thinking of the communication, I must say that I I understand your point better because I was more thinking about the paranoid state of mind which has been Arsenal's form. Well, ever since we moved to the Emirates, I think. Um, what do you, what do you, you mean by like paranoid? This, I entirely agree with you. There there is a lack of a figurehead. There, there are, but other things have, have changed, you know, the, 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 things which might appear to be details. But, for example, the fact that Arsene would address the shareholders at a, at a meeting once a year was very important in the way that people lived their relationship with Arsenal, uh, even if it was symbolic, you know, and he didn't say much in the end. But there was some kind of communication. The, you know, uh, even Gazidis was talking about uh, the fact that it is all about custodianship. Well, we can forget that. That's complete bollocks. Um, it's not about custodianship. It's about exploiting an asset for as much as we can get. And no, uh, this uh, the, similarly, you could imagine that Kronka Jr. could grow into the role and become that head figure. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any particular opinions about him. I've never met him. I don't know what he's like. Mm. I have no idea how he talks. I've no, I, I don't know. So, but there is a lack of of a figure which normally yes could be the manager, but because of the collegiate nature of of the of the club's direction, or what was to be what was the collegiate nature, um, there was no there was no single person. And then the same thing goes for you could perhaps it could be one of the players, and it's not the captain. Maybe Peter Cech should should become the club spokesman. He talks very know. well. He talks very well. There's no. There's we could no have him and Permata Zaka. We we would have the brainiest, loveliest, IQiest <laughs> leadership in world football. Yeah, yeah, we, we would, we would. Uh, you know, but we I, don't. I, I, we don't. <laughs> we don't. And it's hard to see. It's hard to see where it's coming from. And you know, as much as we talk about gaps in our recruitment policy or gaps in the playing squad, this feels like a, fa- a fairly sizable gap in terms of how an organization and an institution like Arsenal should be run. Yes. And um, I mean, some things can change very quickly on the field of play. It can be that um, there's a great performance around the corner against Chelsea, 
not at all impossible. Uh, you know, crossed. a performance like the one against Tottenham, which was one of the reasons why we'll still remember this season fondly, I think. Um, but what we're talking about are not things which can be changed because the wind decides to blow in another direction. There are systemic problems um, which pre-existed, um, which we thought had been addressed by the appointment of Sven and Raoul, and we now discovered that um, this thing that had been built um, was not as solid. Uh, the, the foundations actually were not there. Which mm. is, um, that's worrying. That worries me far more than the fact we've lost a couple of games here and there, which I can completely understand. And um, as to Emery, you know, uh, it, it's, not, it's not news. Uh, you were not, by getting Emery, you're getting a very, very good manager, very, very good coach, proven coach who has a genuine uh, philosophy and also has the means to uh, implement this philosophy. But you're never, you're not going to get, um, you're not going to get a Bielsa. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get <clears throat> even a Sari. Uh, you're not going to get, um, you could carry on like that. The Spallettis, you have people who have got this strange presence, <laughs> slightly intimidating and frightening presence. Yeah. You're not going to get a great communicator like Pochettino. You're not going to get um, the... Uh, all singing, all smiling for the moment. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who ticks all the boxes. You're not going to get that. What you're going to get is a really good technical coach who knows how to organize a team, has won titles with teams that were not that great. And at this moment in time, I still think that in a club that is stable, he was the right choice. And I can't see why we should question that um, because of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. What is more, again, always coming back to that, what is more worrying is not, it's not Emery, it's not the team, it's what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. Those are questions we might have to uh, ask or continue to ask another day because we've been going a long time. Let's hope we can certainly get ourselves back on track against Chelsea on Saturday. It feels like the kind of result that could give us a lift and get us back uh, going in the right direction. Uh, As ever, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Philippe. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Andrew. As ever, thank you very much indeed to Philippe Auclair. You can find Philippe on Twitter at Philippe Auclair, at Philippe Auclair. And if you check the post on arsblog.com today, in which this podcast is featured, there's a link to a new football app that Philippe is involved in. It's called Two Goal, Two Goal, T-O-O-G-O-A-L. It may not be available in all countries at this moment in time, but uh, do check it out if you feel like doing exactly that. So... Chelsea, tomorrow, today, whenever it is you're listening to this, but it's Friday and we are playing Chelsea tomorrow. The importance of the game, we know all about it. We know what a difference it would make to us if we could win. We know what a difference it would make to the rest of our domestic season if we were to lose. It's hard to feel overly confident about this particular game. Uh, The form we've been in has not been great. The team selections have not been great. And in general, things have not been that great. But I cling to the kind of hope that the Liverpool game at home gave us and the Tottenham game at home gave us. And maybe even the Chelsea game away where we were 2-0 down and playing poorly. But we created lots of chances against that Chelsea team. And only for a late goal and some missed chances, we should have got at least a point out of that one. So if we can find something approaching that level, 
I think we could give them a game. If we don't, I think we know how it's going to end up because if you get beaten by Southampton, if you get beaten by West Ham, if you drop points to Brighton, a team like Chelsea are going to take full advantage if you play in the same way. What Unai Emery is going to do with this team, I don't know. I would be really surprised if we didn't see some changes because, well, well, I just think he has to. He has to do something different to get something different out of these players. And if that means switching his team up a bit, changing the formation... Whatever it might be, he's got to do something, and I would be surprised if we didn't see a couple of players who weren't in the team last week uh, in the team again this week, and maybe some players who were in the team warming the bench. I do wonder if we're going to use both of our strikers from the start in this game keeping one in reserve and on the bench might well be a sensible idea. The question is which one might drop down to it. There's the Mesut Ozil situation as well. Unai Emery, despite the fact that David Ornstein reported is willing to let him leave the club, has in fact told Ozil that it would be best if he, he leaves the club. We've been over it with Philippe. It's almost impossible to get that done in January. And he had this to say about Ozil today. He's had some injuries, and these injuries mean that sometimes he's okay, and sometimes he isn't okay. I want every player to give the same work every day to be okay for every match. With Mesut Ozil, it's the same. He didn't play the last matches, but to me, he's just like any other player. This Saturday, he can be with us if he's okay. I think there was something quite interesting in what David said, uh, David Ornstein said about how He's now doing the work and the extra work in the gym that most of the other players have been doing all season long. Maybe that tells us a little bit of something that's been going on in the background. And if Ozil is responding and if he is doing the extra work and he's putting in the the hours on the training ground to win his place back in the team, then I think that's a positive outcome to all this. It is still a massive uh, shitstorm, I guess you would say. And I'm not necessarily convinced that Emery's been trying to get a reaction out of Mesut Ozil. I don't think what's gone on has been Emery's way of provoking him into, into knuckling down and going, yes, I'll show you. I am Mesut Ozil. I, wish, I don't think that's it. But if that's the reaction that it's got, then between now and May, maybe that's the best we can hope for. It's hard to see any sort of long-term future between Ozil and Emery. But in the very short term, if they can fucking work together for the next three or four months when we've got Europa League to play for, where at the time of recording, we still have the top four to aim for in the Premier League. If they can find a way to work together, it will be of benefit to Arsenal because Ozil on his day is a player of uh, incredible quality. The day is a bit too infrequent. That's the thing, and I think that's playing into what Emery's doing. But, you know, let's hope they can find a way to work together. Let's hope they can find a way to get Ozil back to something approaching good form, if not necessarily his best form. And if he can start contributing on the pitch in the last, what have we got, 16 Still quite a lot of games, 16 Premier League games, a load of Europa League games as well. There's a lot of football to play this season. We're a team that needs something. And maybe this isn't ideal, and maybe it's not the way we would like things to go between our star player, our biggest earner, and our manager, but it is what it is. And maybe everyone has to just take a step back and think about what's best for the team. Hopefully they do that. Hopefully it will have an impact on the pitch. Maybe 
maybe it might even have an impact on the pitch against Chelsea on Saturday. We'll keep fingers crossed for that. James and I will be here on Monday to talk all about what goes on at the Emirates on Saturday evening. Fingers crossed we have a goodly morning on Monday. I hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. They are conversation between us, uh, very privately. Privately, 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 privately. Privately, 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 privately. Hey, you're pretty,